Today's readings come from Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 2 Samuel 7.12-16. When your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Isaiah 53 3 through 6. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these texts. Thank you, Lord, how they point us to Jesus Christ, your Son, who died for our sins And Lord, we pray that we might see that in a a fuller way this morning. I ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and illuminate our hearts to understand these uh, scriptures, Lord. I just pray that you would move in a powerful way this morning um, in the house churches around the city. I just pray this in your name. Amen. Something a lot of families have been doing over this season is movie nights. Lots of people have decided that one day a week, they'll sit down together as a family and just watch a movie together. And to be honest, this kind of warms my heart a little bit. You know, some of my fondest memories as a kid are sitting down to watch a movie together as a family. Now, of course, my family, we we would usually watch the classics. You know, we'd watch Star Wars and Back to the Future and Indiana Jones, the, the classics, you know. But every once in a while, someone would pick a movie that's one of those movies that is kind of impossible to follow until you get to the big reveal at the end. Then everything makes sense. We all know movies like this. I remember being with my family once and we watched the movie called The Prestige. Now, for those of you who haven't seen this movie Uh, I'm about to spoil it, but don't get mad at me because this movie came out like 15 years ago. So honestly, the statute of limitations has passed on that one. uh, So don't get mad. But basically, this movie is about two magicians. And these magicians are competing to perform the same magic trick. And in this trick, uh, one magician enters a box. And then seconds later, he appears across the stage in another box. Now, the whole movie is about the other guy trying to figure out how he can do this same trick. 
And while this is happening in the film, right, you as the audience are thinking to yourself and waiting for the secret of the trick to be revealed. So when you're finally shown how the trick is done, you can now go back in your memory and see how other parts of the film foreshadowed this big reveal. You see, the end of the movie helps to make sense of the rest of the plot. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because today in our Christology series, we're looking at the prophesied Jesus. And what we find as we read scripture is a similar experience to this kind of movie. If you open your Bibles with no previous knowledge of Jesus and you just start to read them, from Genesis 1 onwards, you're going to find all these texts that point to a person who will be born to save God's chosen people. And as you come to the New Testament and read about Jesus, you will quickly realize that the New Testament authors thought that Jesus was the one who fulfilled all these Old Testament pictures of a person who would save God's people. As we see Jesus in the new, we can go back to the old and get a better understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is the twist climax that makes sense of the whole story. So with that in mind, all I want to do this morning, all I want to do is ask one question. What can we learn about Jesus through Old Testament prophecies. And I think we can learn three things. First, we learn that Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Second, we learn who Jesus is from Old Testament prophecies. And third, we learn who God is from the person of Jesus. So let's get started and let's look at the first thing we learn, that Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Now, one of, the thing, one of the things the New Testament authors tried really hard to communicate was the reality that Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. In the book of Matthew alone, right from the very beginning, we find this common refrain. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. And this refrain, in one form or another, is found at least 12 other times throughout this gospel. And that's just one of the gospels. As we go to the other three, we see the same thing taking place. There was a really, really deep concern with showing people that Jesus was the one who fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. They wanted to show that the Old Testament prophecies pointed to Jesus as the Savior of the world. But seeing Jesus as the Savior of the world is not something that we can just come to on our own. We actually need the Holy Spirit to illuminate and enlighten our hearts to understand the prophecies of the Old Testament. We're actually given a story uh, that shows this concept really, really well in Luke's gospel. Looking at Luke 24, we find the story of two guys and they're just walking 
along a road after Jesus's death and resurrection. And they're just talking. They're just talking about everything that's happened over the last few days. And, and they don't know that Jesus has risen from the dead yet. You know, they've heard some stories about this from people that they know, but they don't really believe them because it's pretty crazy. And they're more or less just walking along, mourning the death of their friend when a guy shows up. And this guy, he, he sparks up a conversation with them and asks what they're talking about. And they're confused. You know, everyone who's anyone at this time has heard about Jesus's death. So they tell him they're talking about Jesus, a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And they tell him what happened to Jesus. But then this guy responds really strangely. He says this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? I mean, that's a pretty harsh response. Calling these mourning and sad guys foolish seems kind of mean. But despite this guy's harsh response, our passage says he does something really interesting. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. See, this guy is revealed to them as Jesus. He speaks about the prophets concerning himself. It's only after Jesus reveals this to these guys that they recognize him as Jesus and then see how the Old Testament speaks of him. They needed to be enlightened by Christ to see how the Old Testament speaks to Jesus Christ and points to Jesus Christ. And the same thing holds true for us. We need to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit to see Jesus as the one who fulfills Old Testament prophecies. And this happens as we come to Christ as our Savior. It's only as the Spirit works in our hearts, showing us Jesus as the one who died for our sins and then rose to new life in the resurrection, that we can then see him as the fulfiller of Old Testament prophecies. Only as the Spirit works in our hearts can we see the full picture of who Jesus really is. Only as the Spirit works in our hearts can we see all of Scripture pointing to Him. Maybe an illustration will help show what I mean by this. Uh, I used to really love snowboarding. And every once in a while, I would go up to the mountain, and it would be snowboarding, and it would get really foggy. Now, I remember one day I went up to the mountain and this thick, thick fog rolled in. You know how it is on the North Shore? You get this really thick fog. And it was so thick, I couldn't even see my hands in front of me when I held them out like this. You know, I couldn't see ahead of me. I couldn't see behind me. I couldn't see anything at all. But around noon, when the sun gets like nice and high in the sky, all that fog, it starts to kind of just burn off. And as it burns off, right, my vision is cleared. I can see forwards, I can see backwards, I can see everything around me. You see, as the Holy Spirit illuminates our hearts, 
bringing us into relationship with Jesus. That fog that prevents us from seeing him throughout all of scripture starts to burn off. And as it burns off, we can actually see forward and backward into God's word, seeing Jesus as the fulfillment, the fulfiller, and the fulfilled of all of its promises. So this is the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is who Jesus is from Old Testament prophecies. Now, if the Old Testament points to Jesus, uh, we can actually learn something of who Jesus is through these prophecies. Jesus' character, his desires, his, his heart, his affection is more fully revealed in how the Old Testament actually speaks of him. So when we come to our text this morning, we see pictures of who Jesus is. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now the verses just before this tell us the story of the snake tempting Adam and Eve to sin. And the passage here is God's judgment upon the snake for doing this. And what we see is that from the woman will come a man who will step on the snake's head but be bit in the process. He will defeat evil. He will defeat the evil one by dealing a blunt force trauma blow to his very head, but he's going to be injured at the same time. And when we turn to Jesus, this is what we see him do. He defeats evil by allowing himself to be injured on the cross, not destroyed, but injured on the cross. You see, Jesus is the one who defeats evil. And when we look, when we look at our second Samuel text, for instance, we're inserted into a story where David, Israel's greatest king ever, receives a promise from God that his kingdom will last forever. Look what it says in verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now we know that David died. And we know that David's sons died. But when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus being born from the line of David. Both Matthew's and Luke's Gospels include David's name in their genealogies of Jesus, establishing him in this kingly line. And when Jesus went to the cross and died and rose to new life and ascended to the Father, his throne was established forever. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the one from the line of David, whose throne has been established forever. And when we look at Isaiah 53, we're given a picture of Jesus as the one who suffers for us. We read in Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. 
Now, when we turn to the New Testament, we see Jesus suffering for us. He was crushed for us so that we might have peace with him. He was pierced for us, literally pierced for us on the cross. And the blood that comes from his wounds is the healing balm that washes away our sin. You see, we learn about Jesus from these Old Testament prophecies. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my little brother, he had to do a social studies project on our great-grandpa. Now, I knew my great-grandpa pretty well, I thought, you know, as as much as you can know a great-grandpa. But as my brother did this assignment, he had to ask him all sorts of different questions about his life and his experiences in World War II and what it was like. And I actually began to learn more about my great-grandpa as a person through this. I could understand in a new way the reasons for him being and acting in a certain way. You see, as I learned more about his past, I learned more about him as a person. And this is really similar, I think, to what I'm talking about here. As we go to the Old Testament and we interact with the different ways Jesus is promised, we actually learn more about who Jesus is as a person. You see, as we examine these Old Testament prophecies, the picture we have of Jesus is deepened and it's filled in for us so that more of Christ's character, more of his heart, more of his desires are shown to us. Edmund Clowney, a Christian author, writes, The story of Jesus in the Old Testament becomes the gospel in the new. You see, the gospel is enriched as we interact with the stories of the Old Testament, pointing us to the beauty of Jesus. But we don't just learn about who Jesus is from Old Testament prophecies. We also learn about who God is from the person of Jesus, which is the third thing we learn today. We learn who God is from the person of Jesus. As we've already seen in some of our other sermons in this series, uh, Jesus is both fully God and he's fully man. And we see this, for instance, in verses like Colossians 1, 15 through 16, which we looked at last week. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. Now, I don't have time to get into the minutia of Jesus being fully God and fully man, but from this reality, we are actually able to look back at the God of the Old Testament and recognize that he is the same God revealed in Jesus Christ, which means that it's actually right and it's actually good for us to learn about the character of God from the person and work of Jesus. Now, unfortunately, it's kind of a trendy thing these days to separate the God we see in the Old Testament from Jesus Christ. So when a guy like Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist thinker, calls the God of the Old Testament a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, 
a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully, we actually believe him and we go, yeah, yeah, of course, but that's the God of the Old Testament. Jesus isn't like that. But we need to recognize that the same God of grace revealed in Jesus Christ is the same God revealed in the Old Testament. We can't separate the God of the Old Testament from Jesus, and we cannot separate Jesus from the God of the Old Testament. God is one, existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is an indivisible unity. You cannot break him apart. He is unseparatable. The God revealed in the person of Jesus is the God revealed throughout all of Scripture, period. I love the way Dane Ortland puts this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. Jesus provides new sharpness to who God is, but not fundamentally new content. And the God that Jesus reveals to us is a God of love and a God of compassion for his people. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, he sympathizes with us. He feels our weaknesses. Dane Ortland writes, In our pain, Jesus is pain. In our suffering, he feels the suffering as his own, even though it isn't. Not that his invincible divinity is threatened, but in the sense that his heart is feelingly drawn into our distress. His human nature engaged our troubles comprehensively. His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. And this is the same heart God has always had towards his people. You know, thousands of years before Jesus' birth, God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And they cried out to God in prayer in the midst of their slavery. And this is what we read about God's response. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, And with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He knew. He knew their pain. He felt it. His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. And the beautiful reality, the beautiful reality of all this is the same God, who looked down on his enslaved people in Egypt, is the same God who looked down and came down to his enslaved people in sin and died so that they might be set free. The whole Bible, the whole Bible points to a God of love and a God of compassion, best seen in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So what does this mean for us today? Well, it means a few things. 
First, I think it means that as we go to God's word and we read it and we study it, we should never, ever, ever think that there is a qualitative difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New. In both the Old and New, God is revealed to us as fundamentally a God of love and grace. Second, we shouldn't limit ourselves to reading the New Testament only. Yes, I think the New Testament is fundamentally our our rule of faith and life, but all of Scripture, the whole thing, reveals God's nature to us. All of it reveals more about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if that's true, we should love it and cherish it as God's Word. Third, We should seek to understand and see Jesus as the one who is the fulfiller of the Old Testament. Now, this knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for us only comes through the work of the Holy Spirit. So ask that the Holy Spirit would reveal Christ to you in Scripture. Pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would show you how Jesus is the one that all of Scripture points to. Now, Jesus himself tells us to ask for the Holy Spirit's illumination. Luke 11, 9 through 13 says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When we seek out the Holy Spirit, he works in our hearts and he shows us the all-encompassing love of God in Jesus Christ. And that love, is the reality that in our sin, in all the muckiness and all the baggage of our lives, Jesus draws near to us and forgives us when we put our trust in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I just pray that you would move now by your Holy Spirit in our hearts and continue, Lord, to draw us closer to your Son, Jesus, uh, as we go to the Word and read it and study it and, and love it. I just pray that you would work in that way, Lord. Reveal your Son, Jesus, to us in all of Scripture through your Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, to share the love of Jesus with everyone around us. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen. We're going to move now into a time of taking communion together. So for those of you gathered in the house church, I would encourage you to collect the elements, uh, the wine, the juice, the bread, uh, so that we can celebrate this meal together as a sign of Jesus's broken body and shed blood for you. As you uh, take the bread, be reminded of Jesus's words, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when you take the wine or the juice, remember Jesus' words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
know that Christ is present with us through the Holy Spirit as we participate together in this communion meal. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then we'd ask that you not participate in the communion meal today. This isn't to make you feel like an outsider or anything like that, but it's because this meal is a sign that's been given to us that says that we believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. If you'd like to be a part of this, if you want to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then please connect with us. We would love to chat with you about what becoming a follower of Jesus looks like. Let's take communion together.